Well, this is the Lenten season. And in the Lenten season, so many times we talk about what we're going to give up for Lent. They call it your Lenten sacrifice. And in the past, I've heard of so many crazy things that people have decided to give up. And it always fascinates me and amazes me how many, it it just seems like everybody misses the point. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about, because we decide what we're going to give up, don't we? Whenever it's a a Lenten time, we're going to give up something for Lent. Well, what are you giving up for Lent? Well, I'm going to give up smoking. And then, man, I'm sure glad that's over so I can smoke again, you know. And uh, you see, it's it's, it's either I want to hurt myself and punish myself to show God how much I love him. Or it's uh, we do something that's really beneficial to us to show God that we love him. Like, I'm going to go on a diet for Lent. I'm going to deny myself food. Isn't that really a self-centered sort of a sacrifice? Oh, I'm sacrificing for you, God. How much have I lost now? You know, it's just, there's something not right with the way that we go about this. And what Jesus tells us today, as we listen to what he says in this passage, is what he really wants us to give up for Lent, ourselves. That's what he wants. And if you love someone, you try to find out what's important to them and supply them with what's important to them. And the Lord over and over and over again, all the way through the Bible, tells us what he really wants. And he gets so exasperated when we get off in our religiosity And just totally missed the point. And so uh, way back in Isaiah, a thousand years before Jesus came along, the Lord says these words in Isaiah, the 58th chapter, verses 5 through 11. Isaiah 58. Well, actually, I'm going to be at the beginning of the verse, uh, middle of verse 4. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day of the Lord? Now listen to this. Listen so carefully to this. This is God sharing his heart with his people. Is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. He said, all this religious stuff that you're doing, and then you say, why aren't you listening to us, God? He said, he's basically saying, you have not listened to me. And if you will look around us in the United States today, you will see the pointing finger. I mean, every time you turn on the news, somebody's pointing the finger at somebody else and uh, telling them to, and, and, and just, you know what's going on. They're just ugly to each other all the time. It's just incredible accusing each other and uh and it's just uh just this this conflict constantly should there be that sort of conflict no no the lord's saying we should be peacemakers we should be those that are bringing peace to the world and that doesn't mean like world peace where there's just no nuclear bombs or anything it's talking about how you treat other people talking about uh how you even look on other people, how Democrats look on Republicans and Republicans look on Democrats. Let's face it. Uh, how are we loving our enemies? Are we doing good for those to those who uh, use us and, uh, and are spiteful to us and all? There's a way that we're supposed to be. Now, just kind of flipping over another page. Whenever I uh, was... Uh, first getting involved in the corporate world, uh, I had to take a management training course. And uh, one of the things that they told us was, you need to be sure and know how to delegate authority. You're going to be given responsibility. And you need to share that responsibility with the people that you are supervising. You need to be training them to do what you do, and you they need to understand why in the world they're doing it in the first place. And so they really pounded delegation of authority, and then they told us that uh, if you haven't gotten people prepared to take your place when you're promoted, we can't promote you. If you make yourself so indispensable in your job to where the company just can't get along without you in your job, we can't move you into a better job. You're going to be sticking yourself where you are and you're not going to be able to go anywhere. And I just uh, sat back in amazement as I heard them explaining this because I thought, that's right in the Bible. And it's the passage that we read today where Jesus just flat 
tells us, he says, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who loses his life will save it. That's one of the first spiritual, scriptural principles I saw at work in the corporate world and in the world as a whole. It, it goes all the way up and down. If you And we're prone to want to hang on to stuff and to get stuff, aren't we? We're prone to be looking out for ourselves and trying to uh, um, get ourselves ahead and all that sort of stuff. And you see, we want to get, not give. And yet, uh, here we are. Uh, uh, well, we do, and we do just the wrong. We we shoot ourselves in the foot, so to speak, whenever we're trying to get instead of give. There's a passage in Scripture which is found in two different places in Proverbs, and since the Lord repeats it, we need to take heed of it. There is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. That's in Proverbs fourteen twelve. And then in Proverbs 16, 25, we read, see if this sounds familiar. There is a way which seems right to a person, but the, its end is the way of death. Doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah, it's two different places. The Lord says the same thing. And so uh, we need to heed what he's saying there. And uh, I guess the best example I can show you of this it's kind of like a, just a, a parable of the world that really happened to me and to Sharon, but Sharon fared better in all this than I did. We were out sailing with friends on a little sunfish type, marlin type sailboat, little day, just the four of us, about all that could fit in it. And we were just tacking along in the Galveston Bay. I mean, it was just, we were just really having fun, just going as fast as you possibly could. Made a turn and the boat just goes over in the water. And uh, I didn't want to come up under the sail because I've heard of people getting tangled in the lines and they can't get. Anyway, I could just picture myself trying to get up underneath the sail. So I decided I was going to swim at an angle out from under the sail. There's a way which seems right unto a man. But the end thereof is what? Death. Yeah. So I swam and I swam and I swam and I swam. And it seemed like I just kept on swimming and swimming. And then my ears started feeling pressure. And uh, it was like, uh, I was, what, and I was, instead of swimming like this, I was swimming like this, just as hard as I could. I was swimming down instead of up. Well, I had used up all of my energy. I had used up all of my strength. And, I knew, and I'd used up all the oxygen and the air in my lungs. And my lungs burned. I wanted to just take a breath. But I was in the midst of something that would kill me if I did that very thing. And so I, all of a sudden I remembered. As long if if I if I if I take a breath, my lungs are going to fill with water, and I'm going to sink. I'll be gone. But if I could just quit doing the wrong thing and not do anything, 
and just spend all my energy concentrating on not doing nothing, then the air in my lungs will raise me up because of buoyancy. And so it was all I could do to not breathe. Everything within me was screaming, go ahead, do it. But I knew not to. I've never strained so hard to do nothing in my life. But as I did, I rose to the top and I broke through into life. There was a way which seemed right to me and the end of it was going to be death. There are people in this world who are sincerely doing the best they can and they're doing just like me and swimming like crazy toward the bottom of the bay. They are swimming. They are working their way hard toward death, thinking that they're getting life. And so this is what I was taught. This kind of, he who saves his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. There is a way in this world that people think things should go, and it's wrong. There's a way that the Lord has for us, and it is right. And uh, so we've got to, you know, if we're going to have life, we need to be able to give up. We need to be able to give, not just get. Jesus is our example in what I'm trying to get across this morning. Uh, first of all, we start off with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because God loved, he gave. He gave to the people that we didn't deserve it, but he loved us anyway. And he gave his son. And then Jesus loves the Father so much, and he loves us so much, he gave, didn't he? Gave his life on the cross for you and for me and, for, and, and to his Father. And so uh, he gave in love, and he gives in love. Passages in John 13, the 12th through the 17th verses, it says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Now listen to verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed If you do them. And what's he been talking about doing? He's been talking about serving one another. Not trying to get from one another. They had been 
There's a couple of times in the past they're arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest, you know, and uh, and they're wanting uh, the one of them even has their mama. A couple of brothers have their mama go up and say, Lord, whatever you get in your kingdom, you're going to put my boy on the left and my boy on the right. Right. You know, and so they're just all the way through. And he tells them three or four different times. It's not that's not the way it works, folks. It's not about getting elevated. It's about serving one another. It's about humbling yourself. And I'm not talking about sackcloth. There's, you see, there's a religious humility that God makes it clear. He doesn't see that as humility at all. It's how you look at yourself and other people and how you're willing to not just treat other people, but regard other people before you treat them. You can treat somebody very nicely and think you're doing them a great favor. That's not humility. That's providing for someone from a higher level. And that's not what it's about. Now listen to what, what Paul says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, see, that's humility. That's when you can start serving. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. You see, that's what it's about. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. Have the attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God. Now, who could be higher and have a higher rank than God? Okay who existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. God, the Son of God, emptied himself, lowered himself, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. He already existed in a realm higher than any name ever, and yet now his father has exalted him even higher than that. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, he gave up the most and in the end he gains the most. He who saves his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And where he says for my sake, he's talking about because you love me. If you're willing to 
and we says when he's talking about losing your life, he's not talking about dying physically, although it may require that. He's talking about a deeper sacrifice than that. He's talking about loving someone so much that you're willing to do anything for them. Look in Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He went to the cross because there was joy in it. There was joy in sacrificing because he was pleasing his father and he was making a way for us. He loved his father. He loved us. There's joy in sacrificial pain is what I'm saying. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, there's a joy that comes from self-denial when you're doing it for the right reason. There's a joy when you know that your heavenly father sees in secret what you're doing. And he can shed that joy abroad in your heart. There's a joy that comes from self-denial in this life and in the world to come. Now, this is the scene of Lent, I've already said. When people are talking about giving up things as a Lenten sacrifice, what greater sacrifice could you give this Lent than your self-centeredness? Just get rid of it. Just give that to the Lord. Just do away with self-centeredness and start looking at the people around you and saying, okay, what do they need right now? What? Oh, yeah, and I need to tell you a little bit more about that, about that in a minute. Uh, from what I read in the Bible, this is the greatest sacrificial gift that you can give to the Lord. Now, your cross is God's will, God's plan, and God's purpose for you. Now, Jesus' cross was the literal cross. And that was the example for us. Everything comes, for, comes forth from his sacrificial example of uh, serving his heavenly father and serving us. Let me give you some examples of a few ways that you can do that. First of all, in the home between husband and wife. I was sharing with Sharon this past week. Uh, years ago, I heard Tony Evans talking about reading uh, this passage about if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. That's found in uh, Mark, the 10th chapter, the 42nd through the 45th verses. I'll just read it for you. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom 
for many. So Dr. Evans, he picked something, gleaned something from this. If he wanted to be great in his household, he had to start trying to be a servant to his wife. And uh, he started trying to serve his wife. He started, I'm going to be bring you, bringing her tea, doing this for her, doing that for her. And the thing is, this was different for Tony. And uh, his wife picked up on it and changed people, changed people. Tony changed his way of treating his wife. So guess what his wife did? Did she say, oh, yeah, man, just let me have some more. Let me have some more. No, she started serving him. And all of a sudden she gets up to go do something for him one day and he thinks she's out serving me. And he had to get up and go try to do something for her because he didn't want her to be first. He wanted to be first and he couldn't be first unless he outserved her. And so uh, anyway, but it dawned on him how silly that was once he even find him, found himself thinking that way. And so, uh, but anyway, but that's just it. It begins in the home and it uh, should be out of love, not out of trying to be first. Okay. It's not out of trying to be the, on the top. Whenever it's done out of love, this position stuff just goes out the window because the other person, you think more of them than you do yourself. And so there's pride is gone. Pride is out the window. So he started doing and doing that. He started serving his wife. The thing is what happened there, Tony gave and it was given back to him. And that's another scriptural principle. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, shaken down, run, uh, let's see, running together and overflowing, be yeah, pressed down, yeah, men will give into your bosom. Yeah. But so in, in many marriages, people even go into their marriage to get. It just amazes me. Uh, some people are just in love. Some people are blindly in love. And I wish I could just pop their eyes open so I could see what this person was really like. But uh, anyway, but some people just really are truly in love with each other. And uh, those are, that's great. But I've seen so many people that got married just to get their needs met. And uh, they go into the marriage in that way and they wind up trying to get the other person to give them what they feel that they need. They, and what do people need? They need affection. They need intimacy. They need security. They need all sorts of things, don't they? We all need these things. But once you start trying to get those things from another person, that person can start feeling manipulated. And uh, you're probably going to get less by trying to get than if you did the, did the way that the Lord wants it done. And that's to consider them more high than you are, higher than you are. So many times I see people trying to get from each other. This one, they wind up coming in for counseling to me. They're in a standoff. Each one of them knows what the other wants from them and really honestly needs from them. And neither one of them is going to give until they get. This is my trump card. 
I'm not playing this card. I'm not laying this card on the table till you lay yours down, buddy. And that's a bad place for a marriage to be. So you're, they're in this standoff and we have to try to get them out of that and get them where they're loving each other instead. Marriage was never meant to be a tug of war or some manipulative game. Uh, it should be two, two people exploring each other, finding out what the other person likes and needs and giving it to them even before they can ask. But let me say, you have to find out what it is first. And uh, um, I've shared with you about Sharon's uh, Uncle Bill and Aunt Pee Wee before about how we were sitting at dinner one night in a Mexican restaurant with them. I'd never met these people before. We're sitting there and uh, Aunt Pee Wee looks over to Uncle Bill and says, uh, you want some hot sauce on your food, Bill? And Bill says, no, Cornelia, I don't think that I do. And so she proceeds to take a bowl of hot sauce and a spoon, and she just dabbed hot sauce all over all of his food. And I just was waiting for him to just pick up his plate and go, just, I mean, you know, she'd ruined his food. She did exactly to his food what he told her he did not want her to do. I was just amazed. And so he didn't do anything. He just watched her put the hot sauce all over his food. And then he ate his food. Didn't say a word. Well, I thought, well, that was just really weird. And uh, But then after the meal was over, she says, was it hot enough for you, Bill? And I thought, man, golly, look at her. You know, she's a mean woman. But uh, the thing is, that's not what was going on at all. And I understand that now that I've become hard of hearing. Uh, sometimes you know what the other person wants. And this is Bill apparently normally liked hot sauce on his food. She knew that. And she was trying to be good to Bill. She was trying to take care of Bill. And so she asked a formality she was getting permission to put the hot sauce on his food that she knew he wanted. She'd already made up her mind he wanted it. The, the speaking was just beside the point. And so she didn't hear what he said, but she heard permission to go ahead and do what she wanted to do to bless him. And so he wound up getting just the opposite of what he wanted because she'd already figured out what he wanted instead of really listening. And that's one of the things that I brought that I took away from that was we have to really listen to each other. And we can't just get each other figured out and continue to give some people change. People's tastes change. People's digestion changes from day to day, you know. And so we have to be aware of each other on a constant basis, not just a little bit at a time. So anyway, the thing is that you find out what, it, what they need from their viewpoint at that moment, not from six years ago, you know, and then you do your best you can to provide for them. So uh, anyway, I'm reading two novels right now. Actually, I'm reading three novels and all three of these novels it's just wonderful to see the example 
of a good husband and wife relationship. In two of these novels, the men are the most powerful people in the world in different ways. I mean, there's going on, not going into the details, but they are uh, just phenomenal. And yet they love their wives. I mean, these guys fear no one in the world, but they don't want to displease their wife. They worship the ground their, their wives walk on. They'll do anything for their wives. Other people are scared to death of these men, and rightfully so, but they just dote on their wives. You see, they don't, their position does not enter into it whenever it comes to someone that they love. And that's the way that it should be with us. Our position should not enter into it. We should just, we're told to love all the people around us, even our enemies. And so, uh, anyway, but I thought you see that. So in marriage, in our home, with our kids, our kids to our parents, there should be humility, respect, love. At work, we've already seen delegating authority, different things like that. Encouraging one another, uh, helping one another to get a job done or whatever. Driving on the road. Oh man, it's getting scary out there. But uh, anyway, uh, it's just amazing uh, the different times you'll have an opportunity to look on someone in love. That uh, <laughs> yesterday, my little sister was trying to follow. They were trying to follow us in a car through the parking lot, and the woman in front of my little sister driving there was driving about a mile and a half an hour, and this parade developed behind them, and it's just like it's all I could do. She says, "Come on, come on," you know, and finally we just pulled over on the side. And let her just creep on by so that at least we'd be an eye shot of my sister so we could get where we were going to go together. But anyway, this is the first time I've had a, a low speed exasperation like that. But um, whenever somebody zips by you, just pray for them. Pray they'll get there safely. You know, love them. I'll say one of the biggest ways to do that is forgiveness. Getting rid, that's one way that you die to self more than any other, is just setting bitterness aside. Just set it aside. Forgive them. They don't deserve it. They did wrong. They hurt you. But you love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you and spitefully use you. This sort of thing that I'm talking about is basically what the Lord wants for from us. That is losing your life. And I thought, and whenever you see it in forgiveness, you see it more than anywhere else. I think that's where we can experience more this time. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to his Father. He knew what his Father wanted him to do. He knew his Father wanted him to go to the cross. He knew he needed to go to the cross, but he didn't want to go to the cross. But then he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will 
be done. Why did he do that? Because he loved his father and he didn't count himself equal with his father. He loved us and he did count himself equal with us even though he was so much more. So basically he was saying, Father, I know what I want to do, but what do you want me to do? And that should be our prayer, I think, all through Lent. And then the answer should ultimately be, nevertheless, thy will be done. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.